honest question. Is it better to murder a home invader with a firearm or a knife? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Sense nine senses a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. How you doing? <laughs> it's December 27th, and as of today, we have 81,118,725 worldwide cases of COVID 19, with 1,771,342 deaths. Woo! But I got a great show for you. <laughs> and the devil's advocate, we're going to be talking about balance in Satanism. Uh, something I've been thinking about lately. And in Infernal Informant, i got two articles for you. A stinging setback in California is a warning for Democrats in 2022. And the Trump administration wants to take credit for a COVID vaccine. Trump's, Trump supporters are undermining it. And the creature feature, we're going to be talking about WW84. Wonder Woman, 1984. If you didn't know what that meant, <laughs> figure I should clarify just in case. You never know. You never know. Uh, Wes Vanderpool, my friend, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining live. William, what's up, homie? Valeria, it's always great to see you in chat. How you doing, hon? Harlow, what's up? Uh, Zachary, always good to see you. Okay, well, there you go. Depends on how much you like your neighbors. The firearm's safer for you. That's true. I'm going to get to that in a second. Put a pin in that douglas thank you so much for joining live definitely the knife interesting okay we got a bit of a controversy in the chat room um hello gary thank you so much for joining live okay here's the dealio my wife and i are i don't know what we were we were watching something uh on the tv and i have uh i have windows right running parallel to where you know one of our couches is and so out of the peripheral of my view i see someone walking past our house which is a normal thing not a big deal and then they stop and then they turn straight facing my house and stand there staring at my house now i want to clarify the area that i live i do not live in a posh area i live in um in the most violent area in all of Utah. And you may say, well, how violent can that be? You live in Utah. And I would say, well, it's, you know, like two or three years ago, it was one of the top 12 most violent cities in America. So, you know, use that as your yardstick. It is a multicultural area. We have a heavy Latin population. I am the minority here. We have a heavy Eh, slightly less heavy Asian uh, and then Islander uh, population. But again, Utah is rife with gangs uh, since I've been a kid. Uh, it, you know, no one knows about it because no one talks about it. 
you know, we're known for a religious state, but that's not the reality of the state. That's just the reputation of the state. And so we live in a bit of a rougher area. Downtown Salt Lake City is a little bit rougher than here, but this is, uh, you know, this is uh, not the best place to be. Um, that being said, I've never felt unsafe. Like, I, when we first moved in, for years, we had people coming, you know, alarm companies coming in. Hey, we'd like to install an alarm in your home uh, just for safety and everything. It was just like the thing that door-to-door -door salesmen would do back then um, because of all of the violent activity that was going on. And uh, we refused. Like, I outright refused to live in fear, period. I will not uh, give in to... Uh, the corroding force of fear, meaning I will not buy firearms or wield firearms in fear, in abject fear. I will not allow the fear of a society to influence my behaviors. I choose to keep a level head and try to soldier on. That's, <laughs> I can take care of myself and I can take care of my family. I don't need a firearm to defend them. I don't need to, uh, you know, gouge somebody's eyes out in order to defend my family. I don't need an alarm system to defend my family. That being said, this guy's standing right in front of my, fam my, my home and just staring at it. Like, I turned, I was like, what the fuck is that guy doing? Like, who does that? It's just a weird thing to do. Like, he's settled in his stance... And it's not something that I'd be intimidated by, but it could be a spotter. You know, you never fucking know with people. Uh, and so my wife, like, got off. She's like, what the fuck? Why is he doing that? So she gets a little stool so our dog can, like, you know, put his head against, or her head against the window. And, you know, dogs are deterrents, clearly. And so she does that. I'm getting up. I'm grabbing my drink. And I'm about to walk outside to confront this fucking asshole. And he just starts walking away. I don't know if he walked away because he saw our dog. I don't know if he walked away because he was just stoned and he was staring at her house because there are... I've, I've been walking with my daughter and I've seen people walking, stop, take hits off bongs and then continue walking. Like, it's it's a thing. So I, I know there are high people around me at all times. I'm not faulting you. I just know that people, when they're high, do obscure things from time to time. Not aggressive. They don't think they're, you know, being weird. But sometimes they're just weird. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe this is just one of those weird cats that's just high and he just sees something and he's staring at it. But it affected me all night. Like, it affected me in my head. In my head, I was like, okay, well, he's casing my joint and now I'm going to have to be alert all night on the off chance that someone's going to try to break in my house. And so I started having these dreams as if they were fever dreams, you know, when you have the flu or something. I would wake up in the middle of the night. I've got a big-ass knife right next to my door so that I can grab it on the go. I've got a bat right in my closet that I can grab when I can, you know, heading toward the doors uh, to my home. I have a firearm underneath my bed. If I need to grab it, I can grab it and go. Um, I've got a rifle. So, like, I'm, I am armed to the teeth. I have no you know, qualms with taking someone out that invades my home. And I was having straight up fucking dreams about murdering people, um, which sort of fed into the hysteria of the moment that I was feeling that night. And so I, I just, I was thinking, would it be better? Because again, Utah, we have stand your ground laws. Someone invades your property. 
if you feel like you're in danger, you can kill them and legally it's okay. And so I'm thinking, well, what's a better way to kill someone? In my dream, I stabbed someone to death. And so I was like, you know, there's this visceral element to the experience that um, I don't know if that's something that I would want. Like, I don't want to kill anyone ever. Like, that, that's just not something that's in my head. It's not, a, it's not a bucket list item on my list, you know. I, I don't, it's not something I want to do. But I would. So what's the better way? Is it the dispassionate from a distance you just put a hole in them? Or is it you want them to know that you invaded the wrong motherfucking house and now you're going to pay for it? Personal experience. And which would weigh more on you, on your conscience later on? Because again, I don't just think in the moment, I think long term about things. These are the things that keep me up at night <laughs> that I genuinely consider. I don't know. I don't know. Dog keeps a machete on the back of the couch. I mean, I can't fault you. That's not a bad idea. The worst part is, is like, I don't believe in living in fear. I just believe in being prepared. You know what I mean? Like there's, there is a stark difference. And if you understand the difference, it's clear. If you don't understand the difference, then it's like hazy. It's like, well, you have firearms. Clearly you're afraid. No, I'm just prepared. You, you have, you have uh, sharp knives laying around your house in, in strategic places. You're scared. No, I'm prepared. Like, it could be either way. It depends on the person. But there is a difference. And I choose not to live in fear. All right. Anyway. Hey, Rod. How you doing? Thanks for joining live. Of course, dog. I didn't say hi to you. How you doing, hon? Thanks so much for joining. Um, Douglas, thanks for joining. Never kill a man that doesn't need killing. I don't know if Gandhi actually said that, but it's a pretty damn good quote. Um, it's... I'm going to get into this in a second because it's germane to the topic of uh, balance and it's going to feed into some of the other discussions that we're going to have later in the show. Um, but yeah, if, if, if someone feels threatened by another person, not, not physically, but professionally or maybe socially, I've never understood that. I, I am very much a type of person that says, hey, rise as high as you can. Be as powerful as you can. That doesn't make me less powerful. It has nothing to do with me. It's, it's about you. So I, I'm not intimidated by others' rise to the top of whatever ladder you want to talk about. Um, but there are people who are. And they compare themselves to them. And they say, if they're rising, then I must be falling. So I must try to crush them. I've never understood that. I've never, I've never been able to wrap my head around that. But we're going to get to it in a second here. Uh, Christmas. <clears throat> For those of you who celebrate Christmas, there's no snow on my ground. There's not a fucking piece of frozen water on my ground. And there has always been snow on my ground for this holiday. It doesn't feel like this holiday to me. It kind of bugs me. It really does. Um. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> is that Stephen Hawking? <laughs> I stay steady strapped because it, life is a bitch. Oh, I want Stephen Hawking to have said that. Just the best. He has to type it in one twitch at a time. Oh, that would be amazing. If that robot voice 
the synthesizer he had said that. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I, it, it upset me. Like, I, I enjoy Christmas for the, the unity of the family, the connection of the family unit, I should say. Uh, and we had that. But there are other aesthetics. Satanism is steeped in aesthetics. Uh, and so it's a part of who I am is the aesthetic element, though you may not be able to tell by the milk toast appearance that I have. Um, I, I really dig it. I really, really do. And so when it's absent, it doesn't quite feel, I don't know. It's like a birthday without a birthday cake. I'm, I don't even like cake that much, but you got to have a cake on birthday, right? You got to, there's a, got to be a balloon somewhere in like a one mile radius <laughs> of the birthday, like celebrant, right? That's just, that's what makes a birthday. So Christmas, there's got to be at least some ice on the ground somewhere for me to feel like, okay, it's Christmas. And the worst part is, is I grew up in the same exact place, not 20 minutes away from where I live right now. And we could tunnel through the snow. It was so thick and deep. We could tunnel like it was fucking hot. If you're a Star Wars fan, you know the reverence. But none. There's none. I cannot fucking put an emphasis on it enough on how disturbing it is to me. But, yeah, so I don't know. Are you guys celebrating? Are you guys feeling like it's this time of year? This is the last episode of the year. The next time I see you, it will be year 56 on Osatanas. This whole past year has been riddled with a pandemic that has stifled our entire world. Not just your community or your family or your state. The world. <laughs> and we're still dealing with it. Yes, there's a vaccine. There's multiple vaccines on the horizon. Vaccines are being sent locally, regionally to different areas. Uh, different groups of people are going to get them first. But there are mutations of this disease that we still don't realize the effects of as of yet. That have just sprouted up within the past two weeks. So... It's not over. And we're still, every week, I tell you the totals, the death tolls and the, the infection tolls of COVID-19. This whole year, this last year of Nine Cents that I've been producing has been completely riddled from beginning to end over COVID. And it's, it's frustrating knowing that you're going into the next year and you're still going to have to deal with that shit. It's not over. I was hoping desperately hoping it would be over uh, my wife and i took our dogs for a walk uh, to the school the same school that i did live video daily uh, vlogs in the spring walking my dogs and talking to you all about you know everything that's been going on um i just want this year to be over and everything with it and now that we are on the precipice of it being over we know it's not over and there's something mildly depressing about that. <laughs> Especially because the president may not sign this COVID relief bill, which I agree the individual stimul stimulus amount isn't enough for people who are actually suffering. We're okay, so it doesn't matter for us, but there are people that it does genuinely matter that the government told them to stop working and shut down their businesses, and now those are gone. The, the relief 
uh, the staving off uh, evictions, that's going to end. The extra unemployment benefits are going to end. Like this new year is going to be bad. Really bad for a lot of people. Even with the vaccine in circulation. Because we're going to start seeing people become homeless. Massive amounts of people. We thought this last holiday season was bad because people couldn't feed their families. And so food bank lines were literally miles long in different regions. It's going to get worse. A lot worse. And I don't particularly care about my fellow man, but I do care about the society that allows me to live in the way that I am accustomed to live, maintaining itself. And that is on the verge of collapsing. And it sounds a little hyperbolic. I genuinely don't think it is. I think we are on the verge of something very dangerous. If we don't, uh, if, uh, if people don't sign on the dotted line, it's going to be dangerous. But we'll see what happens. Who knows? You know, who knows? Um, I'll be okay because I'm fucking resourceful and I'm determined, but not everyone will be, you know? And you can say, fuck them, or you can just be like, oh, that kind of sucks. Yeah, wherever you land on it, it's a reality. You got to face reality sometimes. Um, I do want to mention really quick, uh, Darren Deicide's official launch party for his digital seven inch is coming up this week. I hope you guys are going to join us. It's going to be a fun one. It is literally just going to be us having a few drinks, having a few laughs, and having uh, a few conversations that are just supposed to be fun and listening to some pretty kick-ass music. So I hope you tune into that. It's going to be New Year's Eve Eve, the night before New Year's Eve, which in memory, I believe it's Wednesday. So I hope you tune in. I hope you join us. Um, there might be a prize or two given out and stuff. There's going to be interactions. We're going to encourage you guys to call in. I'll give you information on how to do that. It doesn't have to be video. If you want to, it can be, but it can also just be audio however you want to do it, um, just as long as you're comfortable. And uh, we're encouraging engagement. That's what we really want, is interaction. So I hope you're going to tune into it. It's going to be fun times. Let's do a little uh, devil's advocate. Let me quickly look at your guys' comments here. Uh, you remember the snow here in the 80s at a few feet sometimes. Yeah, dude. When, it, when you're used to it and it goes, it sucks. Um... Seems like Trump's doing stuff for attention, saving face. The thing is, I, I agree with him that for people who need it, $600 is not going to do dick at all. It's not going to pay your back rent. It's not going to pay your fucking bills. It's just not enough for those people. I don't need it, but there are people who do. Um, it's going to get worse, too, because many of us have been rolling on savings and running out. Yeah. What size is the recommended emergency fund again? Uh, yeah, we raced right past that. Exactly. Before uh, the pandemic hit, uh, the majority of Americans could not deal with a $500 emergency bill. Well, that, ex that fucking ran out for those who could afford it in fucking June. In June. So there are people who are just running on fumes for years. I'm, I'm sorry, not years, for months now. I mean, that, that's, that's real for a lot of people. Meanwhile, in Canada, nah, I won't do that to you. <laughs> Douglas. All right. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Uh, it is hitting the world, though, so it's not like it's just America. Imagine still blaming Trump for the horrible fiscal decisions made at the state level. I, yeah, state levels, it was never his fault. 
directly. Though I, there is some argument to be said for who whoever is the leader of the party, meaning the person in the, in the, the White House, they're the de facto leader of the party. If the party takes your cues and then makes decisions on the state level because of those cues, it's not a direct line, but it is influenced. So, you know, you can't take all weight off of that individual, but there is a fair amount of it. You know, it's still present. You know, we can't absolve anyone in any party of, of any wrongdoing when both parties are fucking up and our current president isn't doing the best it seems to a lot of us. All right. So, so many businesses were bankrupt and never open again. Yeah, that's true. California is effed. Yes, it is. Uh, zero to do with Trump. I agree. I totally agree with that. It, California is its own country um, economically. And uh, yeah, they're suffering for it. Uh, let's see. Okay. So let's dive into it. That's all for that. Little devil's advocate. has always been an important um, focus of mine to be able to find a semblance of balance in life. And I don't mean in like some weird new age holistic sense or anything. I just mean uh, being able to, I mean, if you want to strip it down, I want to be able to sleep at night and feel good about myself, right? Be good about, feel good about the decisions that I make in life about the direction that I'm taking my life and that it's not because I'm stepping on others or I'm destroying others in order to be where I am. I want to rise up by my own merits, even though I don't think meritocracy is a reality in our world. It, it is an aspiration. Um, I don't think it's a reality. I still really appreciate the idea behind it. And I think that if you are really good at something and if you put in the time and effort, then you should be recognized and rewarded because of that. Again, it may be a pipe dream as I had mentioned last nine cents. It is something that I continually think about and I continually try to focus on. And so with that in mind, I continually ask myself, well, how am I finding a sense of harmony within myself? You know, what is it that I'm doing in order to feel good about being Adam, right? Being me. And especially around the context of Satanism, because Satanism, you know, I, I, th I genuinely think that there is a group, uh, a faction of Satanists that think that you do have to step on the heads of your enemies in order to get ahead. I do think that there's some that think you have to destroy others in order to be of value. And I find that to be a very weak position, a very weak uh, idea. Um, and again, this is just anecdotally through my own experience of meeting different people in my life, but I don't have a problem if I have to step on someone's neck, then I will, 
but it's not the first option. The first option should always be being a better version of you, right? Satanism is not about squashing others. It's not about stifling others. It's about focusing on the individual. It's about you being the best version of you. That's it. That's, that's what the whole religion is about. And so through that lens of me being the best version of me, how do I quantify that? How do I achieve that? And so I want to talk about a few different ideas about how I find balance or how one can find a semblance of balance in Satanism without having to resort on sabotaging other people or crushing other people. And first and foremost, stop comparing yourself to other fucking people. This may sound really like on the nose and no shit stupid, but we live in a world that is encouraging aspirational lifestyles. We, and this, I don't even know how to say it without feeling shitty about humanity. Social media is built around influencers. And if it's not professional influencers who are literally paid by brands to do so, it are, it's influencers that we lift up in ourselves. Like, oh, I like that person because X or Y, I'm going to champion X this person for whatever reason. And then other people latch on to it. And it becomes this weird high school popularity contest. That's our culture. So instead of focusing on you, you're focusing on what other people are doing. And that's antithetical to Satanism, right? So stop comparing yourselves to other human beings. Full stop. It's not easy. But stop. <laughs> Just simmer down. Okay, that being said, I think the first thing that we all have to understand, especially right now, uh, for those who are suffering financially, live within your means. Our culture, aside from elevating others, is really focused on consumerism. And you can say that that's a backbone to capitalism. I don't necessarily agree with that concept. Um, I think there's other ways to engage in a capitalistic society than continually buying new resources every, you know, whatever cycle, month, year, whatever. Um, I, I, I engage in it as well. I have a new fucking iPhone, but it's not what adds value. It's not what benefits me personally, you know? Um, and so, and the fact is, is I, I can afford it. I, you know, I, I, I'm living within my means. The point of focusing on consumerism in this context of the discussion is to focus on live within your means. If you can't afford a new device that you want, don't buy it. Don't live on credit cards. Don't live in debt to institutions or to individuals. And if that means that you're eating more beans and rice than going out in restaurants, well, guess what? That's how people survived for thousands of years as a species. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how people survive today. There's nothing wrong with that. Live within your means, all right? It's okay to look to others for aspirations to fuel your own drives and set your own goals, give you something to achieve. But if you're just celebrating them so much that it's stopping you from finding the drive to achieve your goals, well, then it's counterproductive. It's antithetical to Satanism.
if you're living beyond your means, just so you can set up this weird persona, because you think for some reason that others are going to respect you more if you act like you have more money or you act like you live more extravagantly, you're fooling yourself. I respect individuals who are true to who they are, not because they have a fancy car or because they have, you know, beautiful clothing. That is surface level. That doesn't, that, that doesn't mean you're anything, right? So live within your means uh, is an integral part uh, into finding balance. And I want to talk a little bit about the true cost of making money. And this feeds right into the idea of living within your means financially. Because there is a cost-benefit analysis that we all have to go through. Um, if you want to have that high six-digit salary or seven-digit salary, you're going to have to devote the majority of your time working for that. That means your personal time is null and void. Your family time is limited significantly. Time with friends or recreation is seriously limited. Those are things that you have to slide in in time slots if you're going to go for that high of a level of a return professionally and financially. So there is a cost to making money. If, if you want all of your time to be recreation, well, then you're clearly not going to be making much money. And so your quality of life is going to be lower. Now, if that's okay with you, then awesome. And if it's not, then it's something you're going to have to come to terms with, right? This is something we all have to understand. There is a cost to making money. Um, it means you have to pay more in taxes in virtually everywhere on the planet. It means you, you have a, higher, a greater responsibility to the institutions that you're making that money from, right? You're going to have to spend more time for them if they're going to compensate you for it. So finding that balance between how much money do I want to make versus how much quality of life do I want to have with those that I care about or those things that I enjoy doing, where is that happy place? And statistically, um, in America, that's around 85000 a year or something like that. That's kind of the money zone. And it can ebb and flow depending regionally where you live in America. And then around the world, that number is probably going to ebb and flow as well because clearly you don't use dollars as your standard of basis of, of financial means. But um, that's kind of where we are right now. At least we were a couple of years ago in America. It may have changed since then. Um, I know making more than that, I still feel in a really good position. Uh, you know, between my wife and I, we're fine. And so it's, you know, we feel like we're in a good harmonious place where we don't suffer, but we're not extravagant. We live with our means. We've had the same old rundown house for years, uh, for decades. I mean, since for decades, we're going on decades now. Um, so we don't need a fancy home in order to feel good about ourselves. There are other things we enjoy doing with our money. And so that's the balance that we find um, within the cost of making money. So keep that in mind because that's going to, it's going to shift per person and it's going to completely change depending on your individual lifestyle that you like to lead. This other, this, this, this note is very difficult for people 
Um, and it's something that if you're a Satanist, you have to know, which means you have to work toward understanding this. And that's learning how to be true to who you are. And that means that you have to know who you are first and foremost. And that's the most challenging part because you have to be able to look past the societal rules and norms that we're being fed every day of our lives. Finding out who you are is the most important, the most important thing you can do as a Satanist. Because from that point, everything else springs off of, right? But as soon as you realize who you are, you have to work on being true to it. And that is not always easy because we are influenced by external. I, I work in advertising. That is what I do for a living is influence you. I tell you what my clients want me to tell you to do. And I get paid because I can make you do it. That's not you making those choices. That's me making those choices for you on behalf of a third party. Now that's the world we live in. As Satanists, we have to be able to look through that white noise. We have to be able to force our way through it. And it's not easy because some of us are good at what we do, but it's something that you have to learn. And as soon as you learn it, you are so much better off. Everything is crystal clear in your life. You know what you have to do and you don't have to be worried about the static that's all around you anymore. It's a very liberating feeling. But it also means knowing yourself is knowing your faults. I have more faults than I'd like to admit and some that I'm ashamed on because I've acted on them. There's behaviors that I've engaged in that I'm embarrassed by. Um, and But that's a part of who I am, right? So I, I own it. I admit it. And I try to work through it. That's part of knowing who you are and staying true to yourself is not deluding yourself. Not pretending you're something that you genuinely are not. It's not always easy. But a Satanist, if you're going to call yourself a Satanist, it's the most important thing about knowing who you are, right? Um, all right, so the next thing I want to talk about was, uh, and this is something that I had never considered until Anton LaVey wrote about it. And I believe it was in The Devil's Notebook. I could be wrong. The balance factor. Um, acknowledging the balance factor, not just in the ritual chamber, but in life. And this is something that I've talked about ad nauseum since I started this podcast in 2011. And that was that we all are born with an innate capacity, right? A ceiling that our natural physical means can help us rise to, right? Our own individual chemistry, our own biology, our own physiology. You can push beyond that a little bit, but everyone has an individual cap. Not everyone is a Mozart. Not everyone is a Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? You, you can get close. You can find your personal best, but not everyone can be at the top. Uh, and so understanding where you fall in your own capacities and how far you can push yourself and how you, even if you're at, at your own personal peak, you continually try to push beyond that. 
acknowledging the balance factor of who you actually are, what you're actually capable of, and what you can actually expect out of yourself. Now, I think it's a little bit too easy to say, well, I'm just not good enough, so I'm just not going to really try. You know, I don't see myself as being that good. Um, I, I'm never going to be a Mozart, so why should I try to get close to Mozart? I think that's a shortcut to thinking. Simply acknowledging that maybe you're not a Mozart doesn't mean that you can be really fucking close if that's what you want to pursue, right? The magic of mastery is working hard continually at whatever you love, whatever profession you choose, and not stopping. Even though you may be at your minimum, or I'm sorry, at your maximum, you may have hit your wall. You can still push it a little bit. You can still go a little bit beyond. And so you got to continually keep trying. But use that balance factor to temper your expectations in life. That's really important. When I read it in the context of greater magic, it kind of blew my mind. And it helped me understand what I am capable of in that context. But you can apply it to your professional life, to your social life. And it can have the same impact. It should not be a limiting factor. But it can help temper expectation, right? Okay. Uh, don't use it as a limiting factor. Uh, and then there's this final side of, of this balance. Of, of, and I've, I've spoken to it a number of times already in the show. You don't have to step on someone else's neck. Someone else's elevation does not mean you're devaluing, right? It doesn't mean you're going to fall. You can rise up greater or at a different moment. You can seize a different moment than someone else. You don't have to shut them down. So whether this is in the context of just name calling and generally, generally just being a fucking whiny bitch... You don't have to be a whiny bitch in life. You can choose to just focus on you. And, you know, if you're not going to be overtly happy for someone else's achievement, because there's no reason why you should be, it doesn't mean you have to shit on them about it, right? You can just say, okay, well, you know, they did what they did, and, and that's awesome, great for them. Now I'm going to focus on me, and I'm going to see how high I can rise. Whatever my measuring stick is. I want to see what I can do and not use that other person as an excuse or frame them as a, a villain. Satanism is about you. It's not about where you stand amongst others. It's not. So you, you have to find that balance. And that's really what I want to talk about today. Uh, I hope that was helpful. I, I don't know if it was, but I hope it was. What are you guys saying here? Um, let's see. You guys are still talking about the news that I mentioned. Oh, man. You guys are all still talking about the news. All right. Well, I was hoping you would talk about what I'm talking about. If you need to be successful, then it won't bother you that you don't have much time to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's just expectations. That's really what it comes down to. So if like, if we're going to die, we might as well die trying. And that's a grim way 
I don't know what the context is around that, but keep going until you die, for sure. Now, some people just want to live free, but life isn't free. So now you cast the net and gather what you need to keep on living. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessary to hustle your way through. You just need to be cognizant. Well, and then the thing is, is I don't want to shit on anyone who hustles their way through life because that's a genuine way to, to go through life. You know, if you got game, then fucking play your game. You know, I, I don't mind the hustlers. It's when they shit on me that I mind it. <laughs> you know, there's always, and the, here's the thing with hustlers. There's going to be a victim. There's always a victim in a hustle. So if you're okay with that, then great. Do your thing. Be the best hustler on the block. Um, it's not my game. But I'm not going to shit on someone who is, who, you know, who that is. Um, thank you, Shireen. I appreciate that. Uh, okay. Wasting time actively being negative to other people or organizations or things has never been an interest to you concerning on mastering yourself and your development is worth your time. Yeah, absolutely would. Absolutely would. All right. Let's move on to a little Infernal Informant. Let me throw up this other image here. Oh, which one is this? This is California. All right. A stinging setback in California is a warning for Democrats in 2022. And this is from... Well, shit. I didn't link where it was from. Sorry about that. I'll have to fix that link later. Two years ago, Democrats celebrated a sweep of seven... Republican-held congressional seats in California as evidence of the party's growing ability to compete in swing districts here and across the nation. But this year, Republicans snatched back four of those seats, even as Joseph R. Biden Jr. swamped President Trump in California. The losses stunned Democrats and contributed to the razor-thin margin the party will hold in the House of Representatives this January. The turnaround is testimony to how competitive the seats are, particularly in Orange County, once a bastion of conservative republicanism that has been moving steadily democratic over the past 20 years. But by any measure, the results were a setback for Democrats in this state and nationally, signaling a steep obstacle as they will face in 2022, competing in the predominantly suburban swing districts that fueled their takeover in the House in 2018. The Democrats' loss came for a number of reasons, including forces particular to California and the complications of campaigning during a pandemic. But as much as anything, they reflected the potency of Republican attacks, some false or exaggerated, that Democrats were the party of socialism, defunding the police and abolishing private health insurance. The attacks, led in no small part by Mr. Trump as a central part of his re-election strategy, came at a time when parts of California were swept by street protests against police abuses, some of which turned into glass-shattering bouts of looting and confrontations with law enforcement that were heavily covered on local television. Quote, Republicans hung around Democrats' necks that we are all socialists or communists and we all wanted to defund the police, said Harley Rauda, a Democrat for Orange County who was defeated by Michael Steele, a Republican member of the Orange County Board of Supervisors. In my opinion, we as a party did less than an adequate job in refuting that narrative. 
We won in 2018 and took the House back because of people like me, moderates, flipping radical Republican seats. Republicans said the attempts by Democrats to portray themselves as moderates were undercut by a shift of the party to the left and by the demonstrations. Quote, it was incredibly easy for us to draw contrasts, said Jessica Milan Patterson, the leader of the California Republican Party. She said the protests were happening all over. It looked like a war zone. For all that, election outcomes as the result of many factors, and that was particularly in the case in a campaign that played out against a deadly pandemic and with such a polarizing figure as Mr. Trump dominating the political debate. Democrats said that they were also hurt by a national policy set by the party to avoid door-to-door -door canvassing during the pandemic. Presumably, that will not be a factor in 2022. Quote, the number one issue in our campaign is we didn't canvass, said Representative T.J. Cox, a Democrat who represents the San Joaquin Valley and lost to David Valadao, the Republican he unseated in 2018. We didn't do the door-to-door, -door, he said. It was like playing for a football team that had been told they can't pass. California often lurching efforts to combat COVID-19 was damaging in Republican-leaning districts where there had been a public defiance for mask-wearing mandates and contempt for the state's Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom. Everyone is concerned about COVID, said Sam o, a Republican consultant to two of the Republican winners, Young Kim and Mrs. Steele. But we are trying to find a path to give small business owners a way to keep making a living. This is incredibly important, and Democrats are tone-deaf to this. And Republicans, analysts say, recruited strong candidates, which is always the most crucial task in an election. This included Mrs. Steele and Mrs. Kim, who will be among the first Korean-American members of Congress, and Mike Garcia, a former military pilot, who won a special election in May to replace Mrs. Hill and then beat Mr. Smith in November. Republicans succeeded this time by playing on themes that have long been resonant among moderate voters, particularly in places like Orange County. High taxes, intrusive government, and law and order. Democrats said the debates on the national stage hurt them, particularly among Latino and Asian American voters. I think we undervalued the strength of the attack, said Dan Sena, who was the first Hispanic executive director of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. The national socialism message, combined with the crime message, was a death by a thousand cuts in a place like California. Mrs. Smith said she was frustrated in trying to campaign in an environment where Republicans are so persistent in false narratives, and the Democrats had failed to figure out how to address that. We never got our hands around it, she said. For California Republicans, the victories were a rare glimmer of good news for a party that has been in decline in this state. We now have a blueprint that shows that these really dynamic candidates can win with a presidential turnout, running a polarized in a polarized environment, Mr. O said. We are in an incredibly good position looking forward. In one potential shift of a shift, Mr. Newsom is facing a recall campaign in no small part because of his handling of the pandemic. And while it is unlikely that he will be knocked out of office and replaced by a Republican, it is certainly not impossible. This was how Arnold Schwarzenegger, a Republican, became governor in 2003. California is at a turning point, Mrs. Patterson said. People are waking up to what Democrats are doing here. There was a referendum on what California Democrats have been doing and what the governor has been doing to this state. There is no, there's no arguing. You cannot argue that California is completely mishandled, um, completely. And they're in control right now by Democrats. So you have to, you have to blame them like they're in control they're setting 
the rules, like you have to admit that. You, you can't deny it. That being said, I think the conclusions that are being drawn here are completely wrong. Completely wrong. The Democrats are saying that they lost because the party seemed to be too far on the left. The Republicans are saying they won because they painted the Democrats to be too far on the left. As an advertiser, I know how important messaging is. The Republicans are better, hands down, they are better at the messaging game than Democrats are. They just are. And when the Republican Party is relying on lying, outright lying to the public in order to convince them that the Democrats are the villains, they're going to win. And they did lie. Democratic Party is not a socialist party. They're a corporatist party. There's no denying that. That's just a reality. You, you can pretend that they're a socialist or communist party, but it's not true. They're not. Look at their fucking actions. They're just like Republicans. They bend down to their corporate masters. There's nothing socialist about that. And you may point to one or two progressive candidates that are in the Congress and say, see, this is what they all are. But that's not the reality. And you can point to a few fucking riots and say, see, Democrats encourage vandalism. But it's not true. It's a lie. So the only way that Republicans can win is if they disenfranchise voters and if they lie. And that's because they horribly suck at governing. And you can see that by the fact that every time they're in office, our entire country goes into a mass deficit and we suffer economically. Every time. Now you can blame the pandemic this time, but we were going into a recession before the pandemic hit because of those massive tax cuts that this Republican party that's in power right now gave to the top 1%. And we're suffering for it. Now the pandemic exacerbated it, yes. But it was there regardless. So you can either believe lies and vote based on lies, or you can look through the lies and realize that it doesn't matter who's in charge. There's going to be someone who suffers, someone who is disenfranchised. That is reality. That is politics. And you can move around regionally to try to find your happy spot and where you are going to suffer the least under the government in order to have the most freedom and that may not be in California for you. That may be somewhere else. And that's fine. Find out where that is for you because different states have different laws. Um, but to try to pin it on a party is just, in my opinion, you're missing the fucking game. Because the truth is, corporations own both parties. That's why progressives are making such headway in the Democratic Party. Because they don't want the corporates to have control. They want the Nancy Pelosi's and the Chuck Schumer's out. They just have to fucking fight for it. And right now, Republicans are, and you can't fault them for it. You can't. They're capitalizing on that system. They're seeing that there's a struggle within the Democratic Party 
And in order to maintain any semblance of power they can or gain any bit of power they can, they're going to seize on that. Nothing wrong with that. That's what they're doing. But they are lying to you. And that's just the truth. Now, not about everything. They're not lying about the mishandling of the California government. They're not. That is on Democrats. They're not lying about the mishandling of how uh, they lock down the, the state and regionally within the state. That's on Democrats. That is them mishandling it. But to paint this fear-based message that Democratic Party is socialist or communist or against law and order, it's just not true. It's a lie. However, that lie convinced a lot of Americans because Americans are stupid. That's just the truth. They don't like to research. They don't like to think. They like to be told what to think. We are very fucking tribal. If our parents were Republican or Democrat, chances are you're going to be Republican or Democrat. If you live in fucking a state with a, a very popular sport team, you're probably going to be a fan of that sport team in that state. We're tribal. That's just what we do. There's nothing wrong with it. That's human nature. But you can't use that as evidence of truth because it's not. It's just behavior, <laughs> you know? Um, all right, so lots of folks don't even bother to question the things they're told anyway. There's not much we can do except vote in our own best interest, and we try to keep informed. Absolutely, Kate. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to champion anyone voting in any way. However you feel you should vote, do it. That's on you. I don't do you. I don't care. I'm going to do me. You do you. Um, I'm not going to shit on you for your vote, but I will recognize how you came to that vote, how I came to mine, the upside and downside to those, I'm going to talk about them. And if that makes you feel bad, that's your fault. That's not mine. <laughs> I'm just, I'm making comments on reality. Uh, there's a lack of canvassing, not the complete torpedo on the left half of the party for sure. Uh, you live in California. It's not disinfo campaign to say the Dem leadership is inept, corrupt, and insane. I don't think that that's um, disinformation either, Sean. Uh, I think that they did a poor job of governing uh, for sure. I, I don't think there's any way around that. Um, there's a reason why there's the saying, the road to hell is paved with best intentions. You know, that's just, some people just aren't good at governing. And some people don't know how to rise to the occasion. You know, we see that on the national level, but on the local level, you're going to see leaders who were voted, elected into office that just did not expect this shit to come. And they were not prepared with how to handle it. Not everyone is capable of handling everything thrown at them. And we're seeing that happen in live time, you know? Um, what's the hang up with the system of government? Will enough money in a country? It doesn't really matter to the pedestrian citizens anyway. It only matters if you realize that we are the wealthiest country in the world and we take care of our citizens less than any other country. Like, think about that for just a second. That should matter to every citizen. We are the wealthiest country in the world. There's literally no reason why we could not afford 100% free healthcare, 100% free schooling for every citizen. We could even do housing free if we just stopped paying so much for national defense. And you may argue that, hey, you need to walk silently with a big stick. And I can't really fault that. But the truth is, is we dump a ton of fucking money in things 
that we don't always use and arguably we never use effectively, but things that could actually benefit the citizens of this country, we refuse to put money behind. And then we continually elect people who continue to do the same things. That's on us. Not our government. It's on us. We can choose to be smart or we can choose to keep being dumb. It's your choice. Hell yeah, Harlow. Question everything. Um, and that's the problem. If the DNC wants to win, it's going to have to embrace property messages. It's left wing when the majority of America actually agrees with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's do this next article here. I really wanted to bring this up because I do feel like I lean too heavily against the current administration. And I don't know how you couldn't because it's the administration. You got to you got to shit on the people in power. Um, Democrats really aren't in power right now. When they are in power, I shit on them more. But this is a real fucking problem. And so, you know, I feel like I have to bring it up. Um, but again, there's a third side to it. It's not just that Republicans suck. I'm sorry, that Democrats suck, though they do. That's not just that Republicans suck, because they clearly do as well. Um, but it's that Republicans lie, and Democrats cannot govern. <laughs> so, it's the worst of all worlds. <laughs> Congratulations, American. <laughs> uh, let's do this next one here. All right, let's get back to the administration and shit on them just a little bit more. Because, just because, this is the Washington Post article. Uh, the Trump administration wants to take credit for a COVID vaccine. Trump supporters are undermining it. Now, before I get into this, I give credit to Trump and this administration for putting public funds behind private corporations to develop the vaccine in such a quick time. They were benefited by the fact that this vaccine was so rampant that they were at a no loss for uh, people to test on. And so that helped speed the process up. Uh, and the fact that they're so incredibly able to come up with so many um, individual doses in order to cater to our need. The conspiracy side of my mind, I got to tamp it down because it seems a little fishy. <laughs> because it does. But, I mean, don't fault the administration. They, they did the right thing in this case. They put money, public money, behind private interest in order to develop this. And again, it's going to, corporatism, it's, that's what it's all about. These corporations are going to be elevated and boosted and gain financial reward for doing what is actually going to benefit the public. And so in that case, you can't really fault it. Like, it benefits everyone, them and us. Hell yes. Fuck yes. Do it. Um, and so, yeah. Cheers. Here's the ironic side of it. Trump's base doesn't want it. <laughs> Trump's base does not trust it. So the one thing that he did that is actually good for all Americans, the people against Trump don't want to admit it because that would put Trump in a good light. And the people that are for Trump don't want to admit it because they don't fucking believe it because they're conspiratorial. <laughs> he can't win for losing. <laughs> it's so funny. Okay, let me get to the article. President Trump and his allies have spent years stoking disinformation and doubt in official accounts about the election, the coronavirus, and other topics. Now those efforts are making it hard to rally support around his administration's vaccine push. 
even as Vice President Pence took the vaccine on TV on Friday, and the White House calls the efforts to speedily produce a vaccine historic, Trump's supporters have become forceful proponents of conspiracies about the vaccine on Twitter and Fox. Some of Trump's most high-profile allies, including his former attorney Sidney Powell, for example, have pushed misleading claims that the government will force people to receive a vaccine or the vaccine to conduct surveillance of the population. Candace Owens, a prominent black activist and Trump ally, tweeted on December 9th that, quote, the same people that are out yelling, my body, my choice, will be telling you that the government has the right to force vaccine uh, vaccines on you for a virus that has a 99% survival rate. Twitter spokesman Lauren Alexander said the tweets did not violate the company's misinformation rules, which specifically prohibit false statements saying the vaccine could be used to harm or control populations. Complications matters, uh, complicating matters is Trump himself. The president, who has a history of questioning vaccines, has also been notably less vocal about vaccine promotion. He's hailed his administration's investments in vaccine development, including tweeting that the vaccine's impending arrival was great news, but is not committed to taking it publicly. Since the election, he has used his Twitter account to primarily focus on baseless claims of election fraud rather than the COVID-19 crisis. Trump's messaging that people should distrust authority has made it uh, harder for the administration to take a victory lap over vaccine development, misinformation, experts said. His base has been primed to believe conspiracies and disbelieve in official accounts, said Juan Donovan, a disinformation expert who is director of the Technology and Social Change Research Project at the Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy at Harvard University. The skepticism that allows him to draw on these communities is the same skepticism that they are bringing to the world historic movement. Over the last year, social media companies have taken aggressive steps to remove misinformation, including banning false and misleading information and the coronavirus and COVID-19 vaccination. But their efforts over the last year have fallen short. They have been hamstrung not only by the volume of misinformation, but also by the powerful ways in which misinformation is turbocharged by algorithms, highly motivated groups, and users that exploit the gray area over what speech is permissible. In close consultation with local, national, and global public health authorities around the world, we're focusing on removing misleading information that presents the biggest potential harm to people's health and well-being, Twitter Alexander said. Uh, stating in early 2021, we may label or place a warning on tweets that advance unsubstantiated rumors, disputed claims, as well as incomplete or out-of-context information about vaccines. President Trump has repeatedly referred to the vaccines as miracles and encouraged the American people to take them, including when hosting an hour-long live stream and nationally televised summit to educate the American people about the vaccine development and distribution process, build confidence in the safety and efficacy of the vaccines, and commemorate the creation as a national achievement that will save millions of lives, well, White House spokesman Brian Morgenstern said. In recent years, conspiracies and misleading narratives have moved from the fringes to the center of the national conversation, thanks in no small part to a disinformation machine led by Trump, high-profile influencers, and his most ardent supporters. Trump has retweeted supporters of the conspiracy theory QAnon hundreds of times, raised misleading claims about mail-in voting and election results, and even suggested that infecting dis uh, injecting disinfectant could help cure the virus. Disinformation experts call the campaign by Trump and his influencers the most significant threat to democratic process since the presidential election. Worse even than Russian influence. 
the distrust of authority dovetails with the year-long push by activists that have effectively used social media to undermine vaccination. In the spring, for example, online anti-vaccination groups came together with groups supporting Trump and the conspiracy theory QAnon to push a viral video that made false claims about the virus, such as wearing a mask makes it easier to contract COVID-19, according to researchers. Experts say it is unlikely that federal government could force people to take a vaccine. Both President-elect Joe Biden and top infectious disease experts Anthony S. Fauci has said it will not happen. And as much as they say, we will not force you to take the vaccine, the right will hear, we will force you to take the vaccine. In the same way that no Democrat has ever stopped people from buying firearms, and yet they believe the Democrats want to take your firearms. They just believe the lies because Republicans are really good at lying. That's just the fucking truth of it. And we're so stupid as people that we would risk death rather than believe the reality staring us in the face. We gotta believe in our lies. Our tribe says A, we have to believe in A, even if A is biting you in the ass. Okay, I'll take the vaccine as soon as I'm going to wait. You know, I'm, I'm glad that it's not available to the general public until probably spring, because by then we'll see the, the reactions of a majority of people who have taken it. Then I'll know. But I take the flu shot every single year. I vaccinate myself and my kids against diseases. It's not a crazy fucking thing. It just means that I don't get the flu every year. And I'm okay with that because the flu sucks. I didn't get vaccinated as a kid for the flu ever. And I got the flu every year. And it sucks. I choose not to live and suck. <laughs> so I get the flu shot. And it affects different people in different ways. But I've never had a problem with it. And so I continually get it. And I don't get the flu. Same with this. I will get this vaccine as soon as I am able to get it. And I'll feel better about it. And I'll move about my life. And for those who don't, I hope you don't catch the virus. Because you have a chance of dying if you do. Of course, it may not affect you at all. And that's the crazy part of that, this virus. Which I also think feeds into the potential of misinformation about it. But what are you going to do? You know? Virus doesn't give a fuck. Alright. Uh, the public knowledge that deep space naturally... What are you guys talking about? What the fuck are you guys talking about? Deep space. Um, everything about 2020 in your life experience and perceptions has forced you in a great clarity and sobered you up, helping you process a lot and master yourself. Oh, good for you, Wayne. Um, you guys weren't talking about what I was talking about at all. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Well, good on you. Uh, you're going to laugh so hard when people finally figure out that the government knew about aliens for years. Truth always comes out. All right. You know what? I've, I've avoided, to, I, I did one conversation about aliens with um, Wes Vanderpool once in an On the Rocks episode. Shit's come out recently. It's a thing. <laughs> like, it's a real thing. It can't be a conspiracy anymore. Like, it's a thing. Like, statistically, 
It's a thing. It's a reality. They exist. But the fact that we have had unidentified phenomena for all of human history documented, and now our government is outright admitting to it, I mean, you can't deny it anymore. Like, it's a thing. I'll have to do an episode just on aliens because it's a thing. <laughs> it was William's fault. <laughs> it's okay. I don't mind. I like aliens. Um, that'll be an interesting conversation, I think. I'll have to get a couple people on for that one just to make it more interesting. Um, all right, let's do, uh, let's do some creature feature and close out this episode. We're already over our hour. Oh, Ben, be nice. <laughs> We're all aliens, if you think about it. I want to talk about WW84, Wonder Woman 1984. Um, uh, I, I watched the first Wonder Woman when it came out in theaters, and I loved it. I'm a big DC fan. I'm a big Superman fan, and that's just, I love Superman. I love Wolverine, too, and that's Marvel, but... Out of the two, I think I love I love Superman a little bit more. I grew up with Superman, and it feeds into my religion so perfectly. The Ubermensch, the Superman, um, and so I'm just more attuned to that mythology, that manufactured mythology, in comics. Wonder Woman. I grew up watching Linda Carter on TV, um, playing Wonder Woman, and just lusting, <laughs> just thinking my first dirty thoughts they were about wonder woman and so watching the first film i was really really thrilled and gal gadot though i don't think she's a great actress i think she's gotten better over the years but i don't think she's great um she did a really good job i thought of portraying wonder woman and what i love about wonder woman is that it she as a character embodied everything that was just normal to me being exposed to women growing up. I was raised primarily, yes, there were men in my life, but I was raised primarily by a very powerful mother and three very powerful women, my sisters. And they were just, I loved them to death. Like I love them today to death. I, I just think they're so in every way as good as any man could be and as powerful as any man can be. I never bought into that men are more dominant than women because I was raised by women and I saw how fucking conniving and dominant they could be. And so when I saw an, a character being portrayed powerfully, it wasn't strange to me. I was just like, yeah, that's that's why I love witches so much because they witches are Wonder Woman. They, they are superheroes. They, witches are the embodiment of reality of women. Not the subdued social view of women, but the reality of who and what women are. And so I've loved it. You know, it's, it's, it's not foreign to me. It's a celebration of the truth. Um, and I like that. I thought the ending, CGI sucked, of the first Wonder Woman. And it, it was sort of a messy ending. But I enjoyed it. And so going into this film, 
and I, we tried to go see it in theaters and all the showings were sold out except for the front fucking row. And I'm not going to sit in the goddamn front row of an IMAX fucking theater screening. I'm not that guy. So I just said, fuck it. I'm just going to, you know, sign up for HBO Max for a month and watch it. Um, and I enjoyed it. I wanted to like it more than I actually did. So I'm going to get into some stuff. I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but I will give you some, some facts here. So IMDb gives it a 6.2 out of 10. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, when I took the notes, it was 67% fresh, not certified fresh, and it had a 74% audience score. This is a 2020 American superhero film based on the DC Comics character Wonder Woman. It's a sequel to 2017's Wonder Woman and the ninth installment in the DC Extended Universe, or the DCEU. It was directed by Patty Jenkins. The script was written by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Johns, and David Callum, based on the story by Jeff Johns and Patty Jenkins. And the logline sucks and is... Rewind to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure fills her fast... Uh, uh, finds her facing two all-new heroes, Max Lord and the Cheetah. That's literally the logline. That sucks as a logline. That doesn't tell you shit. It certainly doesn't tell you the story or the point of the fucking film. It's just fucking... People need to understand advertising a little bit more. All right, so this stars Gal Gadot as Diana Prince. Chris Pine comes back as Steve Trevor. Kristen Wiig is Barbara Minerva or the Cheetah. And Pedro Pascal is Maxwell Lord. This film is based, and I'm going to be vague because I don't want to spoil this for anyone who has yet to see it and wants to see it. Because if you like this stuff, then I, I want you to experience it on your own. But in the same way that the first Wonder Woman had a tone to it and focused on specific themes, this one does too. The reason the first film excelled was because it had action in it. It was set in World War I. There was a, a fucking war going on. Shit was going down, right? This one is set in the 80s. I grew up in the 80s. There wasn't shit going on. It sucked. Like, it was cool if you're a partier, but, like, culturally significant statements were non-existent. The 80s were about self-indulgent, about narcissism. It was the beginning of the corporate domination of our fucking planet. You can argue it's happened before that, and I'm not going to fight with you. But the 80s was like the heightened era of corporate control. This, nothing happened in this film. There was no great conflict to overcome. It was just like... People want things, and there's consequences to people wanting things, so you shouldn't want things. That was the fucking message of the film. It sucks. It's not true, and it sucks. What the fuck? You could have done something great, and instead you were just like, shame on you for wanting something. <laughs> what? Alright, so the, the film speaks to the consequences of getting your wishes. You know, it's sort of like the monkey paw way. Where, you know, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. And not in the way you expect it. That's the whole film. The whole thing. And so at the very end, she's like, I renounce my wish. 
And everyone else must renounce their wishes so that we can all be great together again. Fuck you. Shut the fuck up. That's not how it works. I just mentioned at the top of this show, you don't have to step on someone's neck to get what you want in life. You can actually get it <laughs> without shitting on people, without disenfranchising people. There's no consequences. This is a white light, new age bullshit fucking tactic that's been fed to us over years. Anything you wish or any spell you cast comes back on you threefold. Fuck you. It does not. It never has and it never will. All of you fucking fear-based magic users with your fucking... Go back to playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's not reality. You can have whatever the fuck you want if you're capable of getting it and it doesn't hurt anyone else. It doesn't have to hurt anyone else. If you wish it and you work for it, you can have it and it doesn't have to fucking kill people. It doesn't have to shut down and disenfranchise people. I hate this message. This is a Christian dogma bullshit lie. That in order to be powerful, you have to kill other people or you have to shit on other people. It's not true. Don't believe it. And the fact that this fucking film, which could have been this wonderful, empowering moment for women, ended up being a Christian bullshit dogma statement, pisses me off. Not that I have any real feelings about it. it. Just makes me so angry. And yeah, there are real re there there are real lessons that we learned from the eighties, right? That that indulgence can become a compulsion. And that's true. We as Satanists certainly understand that. But it is not inevitably a compulsion, and certainly not for all people. I don't like these blanket statements. And this film was nothing but a blanket goddamn statement. <sighs> Makes me so mad. I wanted this to be so good. I really did. And I saw some reviews that were like really glowing. This is what we needed in this year. In this year. <sighs> Maybe some people. Not me, man. <laughs> not me. I was pissed. Like I enjoyed it because it's an action movie. If you don't think... Here's the thing. You all know this already. If you don't think, it's easy to enjoy things. They're flashy and exciting. As soon as you start thinking about it, it breaks down. And it kind of starts pissing you off that you enjoyed it on the flashy level. This whole film relied on 80s nostalgia with no substance. And the fact that it got 67% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, or it got a 6.2 out of 10 means that people just enjoyed the flashiness of it. They just wanted a new Wonder Woman film and they didn't care what it said. And I'm not talking that you have to put political agendas or you shouldn't put political agendas in films, but if you're going to do it, make sure it's a real fucking statement and it's not a lie. Yeah, it just pissed me off so bad. Not, and then, you know, there's, there's a lot more you can get into if you want to spoil it about the actual plot that doesn't make any sense at all when you break it down. And there are people out there who've done it already, so I'm not going to reiterate it. Go look up reviews and you can find out for yourself. It wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. That's all it comes down to. It was flashy. 
it showed me some stuff from the 80s that I enjoyed watching when I was watching it on TV. But you can skip it. The first Wonder Woman was better. <laughs> that's just the truth. It sucks to admit it, but it's true. Um, and that's all I want to talk about. That's the show. Wow, we went over. Every time I do two, I struggle with the idea of doing two news articles in the Infernal Informant. Because I'm like, I'm either going to go under the hour or I'm going to go over the hour. I never quite hit the hour perfectly. When I do, it's like a miracle. It's great. But what are you going to do? Are you guys talking about G.G. Allen? What's G.G.? Gal Gadot. Okay. I caught up. <laughs> Took me a minute. But I got there. All right. Um, yeah, if you watch it, you know, enjoy it for what it is. Just don't take it seriously because it's not. It doesn't even take itself seriously. Maybe it's not supposed to. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it. As a Satanist, I tend to do that. Maybe not even as a Satanist, just as who I am. I tend to do that. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I appreciate it. I genuinely do. Uh, I am ever... All right, Zachary. I just noticed the Cthulhu-lu-lu-lu-lu-lu-lu-lu. It's going <laughs> to... All right. I got to stop looking at chat when I'm trying to close the show out. Um, I don't know how long I'm going to be doing this stuff, but I appreciate it as long as I'm doing it that you guys are, are here and at least enjoying each other's company, if not mine. <laughs> I got to be honest, I'm not a very agreeable person sometimes, so I appreciate it. I really do. Um, and that's it for this episode. If you enjoy any of this series that I do, subscribe to the YouTube channel, sign up to the email list, and like and share the video if you uh, feel like doing that. Um, if uh, you want to learn more about Satanism or the truth of Satan, only one place to go, churchofsatan.com. Education, man. Learn something. It's good for you. Helps your brain holes. If it makes sense. Till next week, everyone. Hell Satan. <laughs>